Welcome to this week's Totally Classic. Totally Classic is a podcast where two friends uh, who often have divergent points of view but uh, overlapping intentions on various and sundries hot button issues of our day and age that people tell you you can't talk about. Um, those people are wrong. Uh, we are talking about them. Uh, we're talking about them here and now uh, today. And just to make it fun, I'll tell you right now what the question that we're questioning today is, are gun control laws relevant? Uh, gun control is a frequently hot topic. And I would say, I wouldn't even say sadly, I feel like that's understating it. I would say tragically in, in a very true sense. Uh, tragically, this is a, a question that we are called to question over and over again, um, weekly, bi-monthly, a couple times a month now, it seems like. There's some horrific mass shooting. Um, and now in the past week or so, it's April 21st right now. Um, well, those, are, those are the only ones we hear about. Right yeah, now. those are just like the reported ones. Now, I, I think that's, it's also a trend to report them. So we're probably, I would I would just assume I should look into that. We're hearing of a, of a, a higher percentage of them now than, than in the past. And in a 24-hour news cycle in an internet age, I'm assuming pretty much every act of violence is recorded somewhere. Somewhere. It may be buried, but it's recorded somewhere. And th that might be part of the... The sort of uh, the the societal tension we're now feeling is that we feel a a little piece of the danger that everyone feels all over the place, and I don't know if we're meant to be plugged into that. Uh, to be honest, um, that's a little godlike without the capacity to function in it. So that's what we're questioning today. I don't know how divergent we're going to be, but I am very curious uh, to explore it. Um, and by I, I mean Brendan McNamara, and by uh, explore it with my friend, I mean my friend over there. Andy Swindler. So that's our question for today, Andy. I don't actually know if we're going to be that divergent on this one. This might be kind of exploring some of the same territory together. Um, and I think that's another, I just, I want to say that out loud because one of the points of our podcast is like to encourage other people to have conversations. Um, and we're recording this right in the middle of the National Week of Conversation. So we are trying to contribute to a world where people um, communicate about things, but let's not run away from each other. Because I think a lot, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, commonalities exist. Even if you may have fundamental disagreements, at some point, you're going to find, if you have a, this is why depth of conversation is important, you're going to find something that you're like, oh, well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do too, somewhere in there. Um, this is why the sort of surface level interaction or quick interactions where people shut down um, are actually really harmful because they provide a, uh, an improperly assessed um, vision of the world around you or what other people are like. So we're yeah. diving in. We shall dive in. That makes me think about um, just my my work in the context of personal development, personal growth, consciousness work. You could call it lots of things. Um, but how do I how do I know myself better? And mm. One thing I had you know studied and practiced for years is the idea of different psychological parts and i feel like that's becoming way more in vogue which is great because i think a human is actually a, a composite or in a book i was just reading a mosaic of so many different pieces and facets and parts yeah yeah and i did a lot of work particularly around what i would call like my inner critic which there's a couple of parts I'm pretty sure all of us have just because they're part of our biology, like a protective part and, and an inner critic part, which theoretically a critic is a way of protecting. It's a way oh, yeah. of getting ahead of danger, right? But it's so often sort of over oversteps, over overcompensates. And I've just been really noticing that in the last few weeks, like how active mm -hmm. my critic is. Thankfully, yeah. less, less focused on me um, through a lot of healing and self-love but really like a laser beam constantly trying to find out who's who's wrong in in the world like or yeah. who's wrong in my life who's hurt me who's wrong more broadly in these kind of issues and so it just it gives me empathy for how this stuff often plays out you know especially when we just flatten all the communication and the emotions to something like yeah. you know, twitter or a lot of social media where there is no room for dialogue really or dare i say nuance <laughs> um yeah. at least at least not clear emotional content unless people are good at writing about that mm -hmm. uh, so you know i just wonder that's a frame for me that's bubbling up i just thought i'd yeah. mention the context of everything we're talking about because i think a large question we're both holding is why the 
why the hell is it so hard to talk about the real problems first of all and if we can't talk about the real problems we're, yeah. we're absolutely guaranteed never to find real solutions yeah it reminds me a little bit of a it's almost a desperation to shut the inner critic up sometimes where you leap to some corrective action i almost picture that i was watching on netflix uh what is it called physical 100 physical or physical 100 I think it's like a Korean show. It's very like Squid Games designed, but it's actual athletes competing in a bunch of just like made up, um, uh, uh, not like sports necessarily that you would know, but like physical challenges. Um, and it's interesting to see like, oh, that person looks super fit. That person doesn't. Hey, the not fit person won. What's going on? You know, twisting notions. And it's it's very joyful, actually. Like it's not it's not a very mean or trash talky type of thing. It's not like American television where it's a little bit like, ah, yeah. It's like, oh, 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 hey, that's cool. Wow. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, in, in, in one of the competitions, like people have to like run out and like there's this ball that basically someone has to have possession of the ball at the end of a, it's like a kid's game almost, end of like a 15 minute timer. Uh, and people said run out of the gate to go grab the ball. And I feel like with the inner critic, a lot of times people have something that kind of panics panics them to some degree. And the inner critic comes in rightly to kind of like advise them and people hate that feeling of being criticized, I think, so much that they like run to the ball, to the first ball they see, and then they grab the ball and they're like, ha, see? And and I think for a lot of people, they can, if they grab a ball with enough vehemence and like intensity, they can kind of quiet their inner critic. They can sort of satisfy their critic to some degree, or it mutes it, kind of like puts a want want on it. And I think people get freaked out when you come along and you're like, that's not the ball. And they're like, no. And I think a lot of I think a lot of the the, the pushback, the kind of like the, the discord comes from sort of fear of maybe some of the work that you've done too, which is like literally instead of like turning and facing your inner critic, like turning your inner, to your inner critic, facing it, looking your inner critic self in the eye, and then being like, okay, what is it you're trying to say? You know what I mean? Instead of this sort of over-the-shoulder thing, which I certainly can relate to. And I was like, oh man, whatever the inner critic's over my shoulder. I'm in a, like, that's a bad, I'm in a bad place, you know, because then it, again, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of in a panic and I'm, I'm jerky and it's hard to figure out who even is talking to me. I was like, is that even me? You know, it, it's a, it's a whole thing. So. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny because it's the, one of the most powerful practices I learned was, it's very simple. It's just called active imagination. Mm. It's a journaling dialogue technique that Carl Jung uh, came up with. It's an oldie, but a goodie. And you'll appreciate this. It essentially ends up looking like a screenplay, yeah, a script because it's just it's just back and forth. And you literally yeah, write yeah. your your name, and then you say, "Hey, inner critic, how's it going today?" And you write inner critic, and then yeah, the power of our imagination can be used in this way to to channel that dialogue. And when I first met my inner critic, it it, it I don't even know how many dozens or hundreds of pages of dialogue there were because it had never been heard. To your point, it yeah. never really turned and faced my inner critic. And there and it was just like a fire hose of criticism and horrific things and but eventually it kind of wore itself out and calmed down and then yeah just didn't have anything left to say and then and then it was like okay so what are you really about yeah okay what do we do yeah like I, I think yeah it can be so helpful right and i think maybe this is part of it too as we as we lean into this and this is another impromptu theory that <clears throat> especially having faced the aspect of yourself that are critical and the, and the inner inner critic, and especially your inner critic when your inner critic is correct, I think is one of the hardest times. Um, it's more just confusing and dis discombobulating when you're inner, you feel like your inner critic's wrong or even you you can appraise it as incorrect. Um, yeah, then, cause then you're, then you, you, I almost feel like he goes into a meta thing where you're like, oh my gosh, wait, why am I criticizing myself for something that's not even real? Gosh, what's wrong with me? And then it's almost like a second critic, like a shadow critic comes up behind the critic and you're like, wait, this is too much. Now I'm outnumbered. Um, but once you've done that, you realize how helpful that is to be like, oh, because then at the end, you get, I don't know how the, your dialogue ended, but you can end with a thank you, like in an embrace. Like, yeah. And so that's I think once, it's so helpful, right? And I think there's something, at least for me, like, I'm like, I want to share this, you know, there's like a little bit, there's a little like gospel fervor to it, which is like, this is help. This is like hugely helpful to everyone. There is no one in my thesis. There is no one to whom this 
essential work of like facing your critic and talking and actually listening, listening to yourself and being like, oh, mm, real, not real. And then figuring all those things out. Uh, this is helpful to everyone, you know? So then this is actually helpful too to relate to critical people or the critical aspects of yourself where it's like, oh, when you're criticized, I find this helpful because again, I'm an actor and being criticized is like a huge part of my whole entire life. And it's not always fun. It's often unfun. It sometimes sucks. Um, but then you can take criticism as in the same frame that you take your inner critic, which is like, not like a shut up, you're wrong. It's a, okay, well, wait, let me listen to you. Let me appraise it. You could be correct. And even if you're being a dick, there might still be some part of you that is trying to be helpful. And in which case, like, it's actually, I mean, in some ways it's freeing. Uh, some people, I think I've driven people out of my life by being open about this. Cause I'm like, oh, this is helpful. And so I'm just going to do it. I'm going to stop being so afraid of stop being the person who everyone thinks like is just like laissez-faire about everything because that was how I was perceived for decades of my life and certainly not what was going on inside my head but that's when I was just like I'm keeping I'm only keeping my critic in my head and I have conversations with my critic myself but like I'm not going to let it out you know and I'm trying to just be like well no we can't we don't have time we don't have time maybe because I'm halfway towards death now um that like or I feel halfway towards death that um I was like I don't think we have time necessarily to not do that to not openly criticize ourselves, criticize others, and do it from that same framework of like, hey, let's all, and let's face it. Let's all just face it. Let's all dig into it. Um, and I hope, I hope it can be helpful. I hope it could be as helpful to others as it has been to me or to you, you know? Yeah. And it's as good as I am doing it internally. It's absolutely a, probably a lifelong challenge, you know, outbound because yes. I, I am a sensitive soul and Kind of want everybody to get along and i and i feel like definitely yeah. guilty of being nice and not kind 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 meaning um direct and truthful because mm -hmm. it's because i want to for much of my life avoid conflict and i've spent the last several years appreciating conflict but to your to your point yeah it's that doesn't mean it's fun it just means mm -hmm. i appreciate yeah. I don't know. There's lots yeah. of life, things in life. We were, but even before we started recording, we were just talking about like, why, why is it so hard to do things that are good for us? And like, yeah. can be quite good for us. Like, <laughs> you really can. I know. But it's like, again, we we're talking about it's like health. It's like health food, you know? It's like macrobiotics and, uh, you know, it's like ashwagandha, you know? It's like one of those things. I think it's good for me. I don't know what it does. But, but there's a healthy way to do conflict. Yeah. I think what we're often seeing, and I think what we're going to address today is, is what, is an unhealthy way to do it. Yeah. Get absolutely gridlocked in something yeah. that is not moving us towards a solution. So yeah, yeah. So what is the question for today? Are gun control laws relevant? And I know it's a little, it's a little state. It's a little honestly, I'm not, I don't love the way I phrased the question, but I do think it's the truest version of the question I'm asking. Um but it's, it sounds a little formal, but uh, do we have, uh, my, my first thought was like, do we have a first, my first response to it at my current status, I'd say a year and a half ago, I would have said probably, yeah. Um, presently, I would say no, Ge or a generally no. Um, but that's kind of my first answer. I was like, oh, maybe today we can do our kind of our first answer and then talk through um, kind of and, and see where, how that maybe shifts in, in the course of our mutual understanding. I am going to answer that exact question. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, because they exist, they must be relevant. Um, mm. if, if the question was like, are they effective? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Might be a different answer. Yeah. And I, and I admit I'm kind of at the early stages of exploring this and looking through a lot of your research. So I think, feel like I'm here today to learn as much as hell. Yeah. So what, and, and then my second question is like, birthing out of that because I think that's key and this is one of the things I'm constantly seeking to override in the world I want to like let it have its proper place but destroy every place it's not supposed to be I'm, I'm trying to criticize it um is tribalism uh I know it's it's inevitable uh it's natural there are some aspects of it that I think are fundamental I think a family is a tribe and I think that's key to human flourishing um but there is, uh, I think it's one of the things that makes people not want to address issues like this is they feel like there's a tribal betrayal or even sort of talking to someone who is of a different tribe or speaking of the, the rituals and religions of other tribes. Um, but do you have a particular like personal context that informs the way you think about this question? 
uh, like individual, like in your family uh, communities you're involved in? Like, are you an, are you immersed in a particular community that you feel like feels a certain way about this question or would answer this question a certain way? Yeah, yeah, I think I've talked a decent amount about my my family history growing up in a liberal blue blue Democrat voting family, uh, which to me comes down on this issue, I think, <laughs> like, yeah, we need lots and lots of regulation and gun control laws. Yeah. Um, that's the answer. And I, I I may be too generous in saying, surely most even those people understand that's not the whole answer. But, um, and anyway, we'll we'll expand on that. And then within my like activist communities, yeah, there's certainly going to come down on the side of, you know, one thing you sent was you know the coverage. You know why why did we yeah you know, cover the shooting of a young black boy when we didn't, a white woman who was shot in a similar capacity. And so that's that's probably going to be completely overlooked in a, in most of the activist communities I'm in. Oh, Just interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bias towards the, the marginalized and mm -hmm. we need to be paying attention to, who we need to be protecting. Um, yeah. And just I know we'll, we'll unpack this a lot. Just just this relentless bias that 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 the, an answer like this is the answer. Mm -hmm. Falling into that pattern of anybody who is against this particular answer is is part of the problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's something I definitely see in my community broad. Meaning like relating to the social media internet like broader broader field of associates that sort of thing um is that comes across quite a bit the um the basically yeah if you don't agree with our solutions then you are seeking harm assumption and i was like oh my gosh that to me seems like one of the most important things to override um yeah i come from a family where oh, I oh so go 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 last tag in there is um and i'm also part of activist communities that really believe what I believe, and I'll talk more about this later, mm. whereas true safety and mental health comes from yeah. building strong communities and yeah. taking care of each other and, you know, the things that are harder to prove probably yeah. will correlate. But in, here in Chicago, we're about to engage, I think, in a pretty radical experiment in that when we mm. just elected Brandon Johnson as mayor who is committed to that form of community safety, you know, not just deploying more, more police and more regulation and more sort of control, but saying, what if we really su like supported communities from the inside out? You know, what if, yeah. what if we tried that approach? So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next few years. Go for I it. Know. Well, I, and it's fun too. Uh, uh, I feel like he's got his, he sort of had his work cut out for him, right? Because I've been seeing him on the national stage this past week or whatever, when there was like the way it was being described, like teenage riots, <laughs> Atari teenage riots, like rampaging through downtown uh, Chicago or whatever. Um, and uh, so in some ways, and he just came in office, man. So this is not anything that he created or whatever, but it's definitely like people are like, okay, here's your first, here's your first tantrum. How are you going to handle it? fascinating to see uh, but that does speak to like the positive aspects of or at least the hopeful positive aspects of tribalism or community too um my personal context uh, individual i really had no opinion about this or even really thought too much about it um prior to maybe two or three years ago when i started paying attention to the news um personal in terms of family history i would say let's see one two three four i think there are four men in my family two of my brothers two of my uncles uh who have who own guns and i would say my uncles probably multiple like probably quite a few guns um and uh like you know we have more guns in this country than we have people um it's not that we have more gun owners necessarily but people who are buying guns many gun owners own dozens of guns some people own 50 60 guns, you know what i mean that kind of thing there's a there are many people now who have full-on like uh like armaments, you know, they're ready when the ish goes down. Come here, man. Um, 
So uh, my uncles uh, have guns for like recreational purposes, um, the joy of having firearms. Um, and then I think both of my brothers have, I mean, I don't even know. But anyway, I, I could be saved. I think two of my brothers have like, maybe even have like concealed carry licenses and stuff. Um, uh, those are more for issues of personal safety due to the type of work that they do. But uh, I think also just for fun of having guns. Um, so I have that in my family. Uh, but then again, yeah, I was like, my dad is like a, like a, as democratic, the most democrat -y person I know, um, and kind of issues guns and has a capacity for violence. So I think he was distrust gun owners in general, um, although I've shot guns with him and he knows people who have guns, that sort of thing. But it kind of definitely gun control uh, is probably the one like Reagan era uh, policy set that he would be like, I mean, that's sensible. Um, and then yes, within the broad community, I definitely, I know now a number of people by association who are like sort of second amendment uh, advocates. Um, I think most notably this guy named Maj Touré, it's like a black hashtag, black guns matter dude, uh, whose stuff I follow, I find very interesting. Um, and cause I've never really thought about it from that sort of like gun owner sense. Um, cause I'm not a gun owner. Um, I have a bunch of swords. Uh, but then I also have, a, I would say the majority of people I know in my life are adamant. Every time a shooting happens, they're like, what is wrong? Why, why, why didn't you care? Children are dying. We're doing nothing. Like that is, I would say the majority of people in my life. Yeah. And you, you brought up something. I don't, I talk about my family, but maybe not me personally as much. I, I, I think the only gun I've ever shot was a 22 which sort of mm. barely counts i think that's like <laughs> that's like somewhere between a bb gun and a gun i think <laughs> yeah target and pistol i actually consider that to be something i need to work on i think it's dangerous to live in this country mm. and not know how to use a gun mm, yeah because they're so prevalent and like yeah the likelihood of being in a situation where there's a gun around is pretty it's i don't know seemingly getting higher but again maybe that's yeah. just the, the awareness or the coverage or whatever um so and i and i even wonder it's like th th that's part of it is like if i'm in a situation or if there's ever if i'm ever handling a gun and don't, i mean it's i think very dangerous to handle a gun if you don't know what the hell you're doing <laughs> yeah and you know there's also that piece of i kind of want to understand why it's fun i, I want to actually want to go to yeah. a, shoot, a shooting range where yeah. purely recreational because there's got to be something there that's a lot of power to wield mm -hmm. yeah and it's i think it's fun just in the same way like i was not like a shooter person in video games not like i'm not a first person shooter video person so um i've liked guns since i was a little kid but like and i've shot regular guns but no part of me has been super excited ever to like buy a gun or own a gun necessarily i feel, i just like swords man i like bladed weapons i feel like and I, maybe because I don't have a natural, I didn't have a natural affinity when I have shotguns to being especially proficient at it. Although the one time I shot like a full-on like semi-automatic, like assault rifle-y kind of weapon, that I was actually pretty good at aiming that, which is weird, right? You think that's the one that'd be the hardest to aim, but for whatever reason, the way that my, phys my, my physical body works. So I was like, that was the one time I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty well clustered. Like one at a time is not how I function. I mean, maybe this is, as people hear me speak, they're like, no joke. Uh, so maybe the fact that it's like sending a bunch of things is just more how my brain works. But yeah, it's fun like in the same way a video game is, you know? And then the physical sensation. I think the fear part, especially when you first start shooting, is actually kind of part of it too. It's part of the fun that you're like, oh, I'm doing something that's a little scary. Well, that's just- In control, you know? Yeah, and I, just, I was just reminded, I, I did shoot a really big gun. Uh, when I was in Vietnam, there's- you. Mm. you there's a kind of a touristy thing you can do. Um, oh, yeah. It was artillery. I mean, I don't even know. It was 20, mil 20 millimeters or something. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's different. That's a mounted artillery. Yeah. You are letting off, you know. Uh, I've shot a 22 and uh, and military-grade artillery weapons. <laughs> or not even. This is not what I know about guns. 20 millimeters, yeah. probably not even right. But whatever. Yeah. A, big, a big damn gun. Yeah, 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 yeah teeny or huge that's all i do man um so in uh, this leads us into like to me something that made this whole issue notable to me is the response after every uh genuinely tragic and i would say hideous although very human uh mass shooting um 
like, you know, uh, mass violence events are nothing new in human history. Uh, I think guns provide the ability for more people to theoretically engage in mass violence events, where in the past it would have required um, quite a bit more of uh, brute strength or even to some degree of like acumen uh, to be able to to, to hurt uh, people. Um, well, it's funny. I wouldn't say throughout the past. I'd say through recent past, you know, um, obviously in, in sort of like when people lived in the on the steps in the plains, uh, someone could come into a sword, into a tent and easily kill, you know, a man could come into a tent and kill 30 women and children pretty fast. You know what I mean? So these this like mass death thing is something that I think we have a slightly false perception that it's like, oh my gosh, this is so, what is wrong with us? Yes, yes, absolutely. It should tell us what is wrong with us as human beings. But like, as though this is some some new thing with, evolved into being having the capacity to do but it, the, the weird thing it's an egalitarian guns are an egalitarian tool by which a small or quote-unquote weak person can come in and now now you're like oh no we don't just have to worry about big scary like adroit bullies but now we have to worry about everyone that means right. with lots of training probably or whatever yeah. yeah yeah can really like oh my gosh a little person can wreck shop now in some ways that's why guns are good because it helps people who would otherwise be uh subjugated or what have you but which we'll get into in a second but i've noticed that after every mass shooting the same exact response seems to happen where it's like it's not enough is enough gun control now gun control now becomes the monolithic cry, cry. and as far as i can un understand even pre-perceptual of having any sense of this issue. This is, mass shootings have to be, rationally, a uh, multivariate problem. There has to be multiple things going on here. Um, however, I've, I noticed every time it would happen, ex almost exclusively every noise around me, every voice around me was proposing a monovariate analysis and a monovariate solution. So whenever that happens in general, people may already know this from this podcast about me, but like, that put, sends up alarm bells. And I was like, something something wrong is happening here where people are answering this question, are gun control laws relevant with, of course they are, They're, it's the most relevant thing. And I was like, well, that, no, hold on a second. That's not, we've got to talk about that. Yeah, and it it grades me perhaps for, for different reasons, but uh, actually one thing I want to frame here just because yeah. A lot of this comes up just in our other conversations that aren't recorded, um, but just in case there's any doubt whatsoever, because we're going into like an analysis of an absolute tragic condition of our country that yeah. we both believe and and know in our hearts that every time somebody is shot with a gun, let alone many, many people shot, that is an absolute egregious tragedy and a horrific and unnecessary loss of life. That certainly includes Ralph Yarall and many, so many others. Um, so I just because yeah. we can do analysis, because we're attempting to actually unpack what is what is stopping us from solving this in any meaningful way. Yeah, I want to be sure to say that that very clearly. I think it's a great thing to say, Andy. I think that's probably the second. Maybe you'll get into that. That's the other thing that really bugs me. That like within one hour of someone being shot, mistaken identity, whatever, who knows, right? Racist motivations, non-racist motivations, uh, hate, non-hate, just who knows? Um, within an hour often, people are like onto policy and analysis. Like immediately people launch immediately into policy and analysis, which to me, I don't know if there's a statute of limitations. Maybe that's another question. Uh, how long do you wait after a tragedy to weaponize it? Um, but it often feels like advertising to me that somehow within an hour or whatever that like, Sean King has a post up about an, analyzing the thing and how we need gun control. And I was like, wow, like you turn this into a like a Pepsi ad in one hour, which you can do in the internet age. You know what I mean? You can take the footage or whatever and do it. Um, and that, and that uh, yes, I would absolutely love to avoid that um, and be like, okay, we've had some time to process. Um, okay, now what do we do about this? You know, because I think the first order of business has to be, let's feel sorrow. <laughs> right let's feel sorry let's attend to uh let's attend to the victims or in some cases let's attend to the shooter let's attend to every pers possible person we can attend to uh in this situation um in terms of actually just meeting their needs and mourning like sitting shiva with them a little bit you know absolutely i having seen this response over and over again i did 
in my, uh, I was saying to you, Andy, that the, the phrase, besides just saying it's all about this, and if you don't agree with gun control laws, then you just want more children to die, which I've heard in the past week, and I sent it to you, uh, uh, clips, uh, an older clip of Jon Stewart saying that, essentially, and people being like, look at him owning this dude. And I was like, he's saying a wacky thing, it's super biased. Um, uh, Bill Clinton just said the same thing in an interview, but basically it's like, oh yeah, these people don't care dead children. And I've heard that, I've heard many people say that with cold eyes. It's like, uh, Republicans do not care about dead children. There doesn't matter how many dead children they are. They are never going to compromise uh, on this and they don't care to solve the problem. Um, but the proposed, they're, all they're really saying is they do not care to solve the problem by this method. That's all that's actually being said, folks. And that drives me crazy when people pretend like, in, unless you agree with my solution, you don't care about the problem is one of those, like we've seen it time and time again. This is one thing we need to reason past and dialogue past um, because it doesn't, it's just not, uh, A, it's not correct. Um, and B, it's not helpful. And it just, it, uh, it's not helpful in terms of solving the problem, but it's also not helpful in terms of, um, uh, in terms of so the, the downstream issues of creating a more tribalistic, hateful othering culture all the other things we're worried about and the second was common sense gun laws and i was like i don't understand how anyone in the world except for a frightening minority would even know what that means because i before i looked into this issue i don't know what a common sense gun law is i have no idea and my and for me assuming that i would know what a common sense gun law is just sort of innately or intuitively is I think ludicrous. I don't know enough about guns. I don't know any really anything about, uh, you know, three years ago, I knew nothing about the effectiveness of gun laws. So then the only common sense, as far as I'm aware, the only real common sense would be, well, like what does evidence say? What does literature say? And the reason common sense made me trip my brain up and go, wait a second, what's happening here? Who's trying to trick me? Is because that was invoked so often in like for masking throughout the pandemic. Cause there was like, well, it's common sense, you know, it covers your face, your thing. And I was like, well, but, that, but I don't, I don't know that that works that way. Common sense does, tells me, I don't know. That's what common sense says. And common sense says, well, has it worked? What works? Has it worked before? Have people found it to work? That's to me where common sense goes. But I think a lot of teams by common sense, people mean intuition. And again, I'm, I'm more anti-intuition than most folks or whatever, but I also think it's helpful. It's in its own capacity. But I think that's actually what people mean is they're like intuitive uh, gun control laws. Like I just sort of intuit or I sort of feel, I feel my way into this meaning being meaningful or whatever. But what I found, at least by looking actually into it, is most of the time people are wrong. Like they're proposing solutions that have not worked. In which case it's it's opposite common sense. Yeah, and one thing I think I'm, I tend to be more generous perhaps about- How dare you? Estimating people's, <laughs> estimating people's motivation. Yeah, yeah. And and I I feel like you're still on the fence, but I yeah. feel like e even the people who are just at, you know stumping, somewhat perhaps mindlessly about gun gun I can't even say it, gun control being the only answer. Yeah. Uh, I believe they're still coming from a place of wanting to solve this problem of wanting to reduce murders by guns. I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would hope so, or at least I think they think they are. I don't think they are, but I think they think they are. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I think so. Maybe that's the key difference with how we, yeah, yeah, yeah. How we yeah. try to perceive motivation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I would agree with you on motivation, but I don't think they're doing their motivation. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you're like, I'm trying to solve this. And I'm like, mm, you think you're trying to solve it. I believe you, Like, I'm, but you're not actually trying to solve it because it's not solution. You know what I mean? Right. The why versus the how. The why is, I. the why yeah. maybe we can all agree on is, Hey, fewer Americans ought to be killed by guns. Yes, please. Yes, please. I 100 yes. There we go. See, thumbs up, double thumbs up on that. We both agree. The, the how <laughs> yeah. is, is under wild, wild dissonance yeah. and scrutiny. Yeah. And, and I generally, you know, I, I, in some ways, I think boundaries and containers, walls can lead to safety. You know, mm -hmm. we've talked about that before. Just yeah, the, yeah. The playground, like what makes a playground safe? Like, well, you've got a fence and the container and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Like that. Um. So I do get why that can be appropriate, and in this case, yeah, I can't help but feel like, you know, even without 
uh, having scrutinized all the research that it, I don't know. It's it's one of the ways. It's one of the same reasons I don't think more police are necessarily the answer to make a city safer, because yeah. it's just this outward in. Um, I don't want to say solution. It's an outward in approach that's just like the more control, the more lockdown we are, yeah. the more regulated we are. Like that's what's going to make us safe. That's yeah. what's going to make yeah. this happen less. And I'm like, I don't yeah. think that's that's ridiculous because the guns are already here. Yes. At this point, that's like maybe that's the number one reason. I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, like you as you said, we already have more guns than people. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What does regulation even do at this point? It's not hard to get a gun. Like, you know? no, no. So, so what's no. underneath that? What's the motivation? Yeah. Why yeah. does one human kill another? You know? Yeah, that's huge. I think. I think that is the. I mean, I think that's the. If you're going to be monovariant, which is like, we got to stop wanting to murder each other. If you're going to scream about something, I think that would be the only, that, that's like the number one thing, right? Why, why are we, why do we want to do this? Why do we think it's fun? Why do we think it's, let's be honest, why do we think it's the right thing to do? Now, some people do it knowing it's the wrong thing and that's why they do it. So that means they think it's the right thing to do the wrong thing. I, I refuse, I refuse to paint with a broad brush that everybody who commits a mass shooting has, suffers from mental health issues. I think it's on the table. I'd put it in the top five, but it's not, you can't assume it. There are reasonable reasons to go shoot a bunch of people uh, because people around the world do it. That's really what militaries are for. So, sorry. And, <laughs> and I realized what I just said could feel like an argument for gun control because I was like, oh, it's really easy to get a gun. Sure, so, sure. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm actually, you know, in favor of reasonable gun control laws. I, I don't, I don't. I'm all I'm all for people having guns. I think that is part of our constitutional right. Yeah. And I think some my personal opinion is some guns are just like, why the hell do you need to have that? Um, and and yet I, I don't know. I, I that's a personal opinion, and yet I don't sure. know that that is strong enough to go into legislation because yeah. where do we draw yeah. the line? And it makes me wonder, you probably know more about this than I do, but I believe some other countries have successfully reduced gun violence by reducing the number of guns but i also don't think they were in the same starting place no. i don't think they had no, anywhere no, no. Else. no like uh the uk gets brought up as, as an example a lot there was like one shooting and then they did new laws uh and then it was like look there was no a lot of you'll see a lot of graphs in the world guys uh semi-correlative graphs uh, but as anyone who makes graphs know, you, a lot of correlative graphs you can also be like oh and this is where the exportation of brazilian coffee sees so could be that um the uk was a good example um prior to their like one mass australia i think had a similar event where it's like one event and they changed all these laws and then it never happened again but it hadn't happened for 56 years or whatever before that either so it was like did that there's no way to statistically say that anything they did had anything to do with it we you we have a a protected gun culture that is unique in the world and that's and this is sort of the consequence this is sort of the collateral damage of we can argue separately, like whether it's a good or a bad amendment, right? A, a amendment to our constitution. It's the second, right? It's the second amendment. It's literally like the second most important type of thing that the creators of our country were like, this is what we need to have. We need to have a right that will not be infringed. And you're like, whoa, that's intense language. It's not as important as freedom of speech, which we've talked about in other episodes, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? But it's 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 up there. It's a top two, uh, top two, baby. So, I mean, and we, we live in that system and I think a lot of people who want to tear systems down look, and this is why people don't care about freedom of speech as much either, which is just like people who believe we have to tear the whole system down are like, that's every, everything's fair game. And I truly believe everything's fair game in terms of argumentation, but I know I have an internal bias. I haven't grown up in this country. Just like it's in the water, man. It's just kind of, you kind of breathe. You breathe the constitution as like a, a bit of like a, almost a pseudo religious text. What's fascinating is the constitution protects against the instinct of what I would describe as like the religious instinct, which is the instinct to surrender. Like this is from AA to John Calvin or whatever. This is like basic biblical Christianity that like we are actually designed to surrender our will to something outside ourselves. To like our, our, our we were designed to be in service to God. And so it's fascinating to me that there is this tendency to want to, when problems happen, people are immediately like, how do we give more, how do we surrender our wills as a people, or how do we, and a lot of times this is weird, how do we make other people surrender their will to 
this outside force of government, police, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. So I think a lot of times so it's a waylay, again, of like a proper instinct, of wanting to protect people or of wanting to surrender our life to God. Instead, we like, we want to give it away to some authority, another human fallible in authority uh, of human, human sourcing, you know, which is scary. I mean, this is why we end up with a prison industrial complex, you know what I mean? Or I think this year there's been like a, you know, police have shot and killed someone every day this year. Now also it's, we're freaking violent. So I, I'm not saying every police shooting was unjustified. Literally all of them could have been justified. All of them could have been unjustified. I have no idea. Um, <clears throat> but it's a, it's a frequent phenomenon. Yeah, and I, and I think part of the argument for gun control, and again, this doesn't mean that gun control will actually solve it in this way. Yeah. But I think part of the argument is, and I've heard this from, I know here in Chicago, I'm involved in a lot of different communities. I know folks who are in anti-violence, uh, violence pre prevention kind of programs. Uh, yeah. They work with gangs. I mean, they're in it, you know, they're on yeah. the street. And so I've heard it directly from them, you know, gosh, probably even 30 years ago, people were getting fistfights more so than pull out a gun. Yeah. I get it. I mean, going back to, I think we're both really interested in, or what are the pretty standard human tendencies, right? So yeah. getting angry, you know, getting pissed off, retaliating. I mean, those are certainly things most of us feel in one way or another at some point in time. And so I think part of the argument is, well, sure, you can feel that. And if you happen to have a gun and know how to use it, then you're more likely to that that feeling yeah. in that moment is more likely to transfer into, you know, shooting that gun, which could then lead to, you know, hurt, hurting or murdering somebody. Yeah, um, yeah death as, a, as opposed to injury. That's not, yeah. not an unreasonable correlation to me. No. Um, and I feel it, you know, I mean, I don't know, like road rage or, or something. Probably <laughs> yeah. the, the, the clearest, you know, where I'm, and, and that's, that's not even unrelated. People get shot on the highway all the time. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, it makes it makes emotional regulation uh, the way you're talking about it. Emotional regulation is another thing that I've thrown in the top five ways to respond to gun violence. I yep. think is, and if you've talked to people, I mean, I would love to know their own experiences with that sort of thing. Because again, if it's it's the it's not that dissimilar, and I think this is because I have a capacity of violence, and a lot of people I see like are I think less attuned to their own capacity for violence who just scream about gun control is throwing a fist in someone's face and shooting someone is not, it's, it's much closer than you'd think. Uh, it's just one has the, like a greater likelihood of causing uh, like a homicide. Right. Unless your feet, your hands are registered weapons, you know, but that capacity has always been there. So it's a matter of like not throwing the fist or not shooting, pulling the gun out kind of thing, you know, which requires like something happening in me, in me as a person, in you as a person, that sort of thing. Unless you're Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes, exactly. In which case, you're dead either way. Which I have now, there are now two shows I've watched where <laughs> a character renamed themselves Van Damme. And I'm like, and I realized, I don't know if I've ever seen a Van Damme movie. And I'm like, I'm going to go back. I'm like, you got to do, you gotta do it. That's, yeah. quite a li that's quite a library to dig into. You, you have. I mean, honestly, if you watch two or three, you've kind of seen more or less them all, you know. Anyway. <laughs> I'll report back after I. Thank you, thank you. See that oh, celebration of violence. It is, it is. This is why we love action movies, though, or our violent video games. I think it's like a safe way to explore those things. Now, does it foster it because it keeps our mind? Are we sort of consuming that which eventually destroys us? Hey, it's worth considering. I don't know if people remember, but for a while, violent video games were like a top three knee-jerk response to gun violence. I wouldn't put that in the top ten at all, personally. It might be in the top twenty-five. It's worth exploring. Top twenty. Like like it's causing more of it. Yeah, yeah. People were Grand especially Auto. yeah, Grand Theft Auto thing. People were like, this is fun Grand Theft Auto, and then I'm gonna yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, this is why. This is why. And I gotta tell you, folks, people took that as seriously as they take gun control law screaming now. They're like, oh gosh, we yes, we've really got to do something. Can you believe what you can do in these games? You know, I I I default to the I actually think it's it's exploring something that we have within us and I do think a video game is a safer way to explore it. For example, if I shoot a bunch of people and get some of whatever that aggression is out, it is a form of, uh, it is a form with its own harms, um, a form of emotional regulation kind of ahead of time, you know? I think within within reason, yes. And and I think if somebody's completely addicted to it and that's, it, yeah. it, it's sort of how much of that is in balance with experience yeah. people in the world in, in real life. And, yeah. and not, shooting them you could be desensitized you could just be like yeah 
Cool. Yeah, really. Basically, what desensitizes yeah. us to the value of human life. And yes, yeah. I think virtualization, in terms of the increase of deaths, I think virtualization of our culture and of our own perception of reality is, again, I think that's more relevant than gun control laws in terms of gun violence. Again, I'm constantly, when I think about these things, I'm always like, and I always try to engage people in conversations on this. This is one of the hardest, by the way, for whatever reason. People don't, people don't even really want to go past like two lines. I'm used to conversations being getting mean and stuff, but people don't want to go back like two back and forth about gun control most of the time. So that before they get kind of like, no, no, it's really interesting. Whereas like my proposition, I often say is like, well, let's you and me, let's list out the top 10 things that probably have to do with this. Cause that to me is the most important thing is to get people off this, the false univariate uh, approach. Like, let's talk about the top 10 things that probably contribute to this. Cause I assume if we both make a top 10 list, we'll probably have four or five in common. And then we can kind of find some common ground. And then from there, we can kind of talk about the ones we disagree on. And people don't want to address that. Like people literally do not want, I've discussed, I'd say dozens of people at this point, uh, do not want to give up that gun control laws are sort of the, the most important and maybe even the only thing, which again, freaks me out. And oh, let me just really quickly reference Rand. So I started reaching, researching this. I started reading articles about it, uh, uh, like actual studies on, um, what was effective. I read maybe five or six. Uh, in general, it looked like some things were somewhat effective, some things were not effective. I can't, I'm trying to remember. I think it was like licensing was somewhat effective in reducing like homo gun homicides generally, um, but background checks weren't uh, something, you know what I mean? I was sort of like, oh, it was like kind of a mixed bag is what it was looking at. And then eventually I stumbled upon um, uh, the RAND uh, organization. Um, sorry, the, uh, uh, what are they called? What's their actual name? The RAND Corporation. Uh, which is a nonpartisan think tank. I know them because they sponsor a bunch of NPR programs. So I'm used to just hearing their name referenced as a sponsor of programs of my, uh, my, one of my former favorite news sources. Um, so they did a pretty in-depth analysis of every study that they could find um, looking at gun policies, increase of outcomes, decrease of outcomes. Again, it's a bit of a mixed bag, depending. But one of the most important, I'm just going to read you one line from their the, the overall statement about their thing. You can go look it up on rand.org, um, gun policy. Um, for four of the outcomes we studied, defensive gun use, hunting and recreation, mass shootings, and police shootings, we found inconclusive evidence at best on the effects of any of these policies. And these are prohibitions with illness, licensing, uh, bans on assault weapons, surrender of firearms, age requirements, waiting periods, uh, child access prevention laws, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whole, whole bunch of bunch of different laws. It's really comprehensive. It's a great place to start. Um, and from there, you can actually look at the actual material. Um, so when I read that, I was like, well, hold on a second. This is so similar to like the systematic survey of masks, right? Which said that, like, we found no little to no, high, it is likely that there's little to no effect of masking on the transmission of respiratory viruses. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Why are we getting so mad about it when we're talking about something that like is absolutely in the realm of conjecture of kind of like maybe this time it will work, you know? And people are like, well, the mask, again, you were wearing the wrong mask. Or, we were writing the wrong laws. All the laws, those were badly written, you know? Maybe, sure. But when you scream about something that thus far, in terms of mass shooting specifically, has inconclusive evidence at best, like you're, that's not reasonable, right? And so we saw the Tennessee three kind of, I remember one of them was talking about assault weapons. He's like, you know, we came here talking about, you know, an assault weapon ban and you responded with an assault on democracy, which says, listen, it's a great line. I'm sure he felt good when he wrote it down. When you say that out loud, you reveal that you're not being sensible because a ban on assault weapons has no relation as far as we know as human beings to mass shootings. So it's a complete non sequitur. You know what I mean? You used it to make a point, but people saw that, championed that, quoted it, clipped it. I saw it all over the place because it was a clever line, but it's not reasonable. And I think a lot of people, my, my assumption, hopefully, is a lot of people simply just don't know this as opposed to they know this and then they're like, no, you're, it's wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's, that's uncharacteristically generous of you. I know, I know. I'm going to, well, I just, because I think, no, the, the reason I think that is because almost no one will engage with me about talking about it. And so I was like, okay, people don't even, if you press someone just enough, they don't even think that they know about this. I think most people, this is, you know, projecting maybe, are where I was three years ago. I don't know anything. I, I know hardly anything about this. 
Yeah. My only presumption that I still hold to this day is that you can't really limit it because the Constitution says shall not be infringed. And then to me, every gun control thing is a non-starter. So that's why I don't, I think actually, actually that's why people focus on it policy-wise because they do know better is um, it's a non-starter. So basically it's going to create an enmity, an endless enmity because people who don't want the government to regulate a right, a constitutional right that should not be infringed because the constitution says not to do it, um, they aren't going to budge and they shouldn't budge. They shouldn't compromise if that's your interpretation, right? And ultimately the second amendment is specifically created. I, I, I gave you some links to the Federalist Papers. Um, it is specifically linked to fighting militaries, foreign and domestic. So any gun control law you propose to my eye has to be universal, meaning it has to apply to military, social, uh, you know, whatever, uh, secret service, CIA, FBI, the police, or else you cannot, you can't start it. You can't infringe one person. You, if you're going to infringe, you're already violating the constitution. And if you're going to infringe only some people's gun control rights, like you're in terrible, terrible territory. And I think throughout history, that's played out again, and largely against black folks in our history, you know? Yeah, I, I think the same thing I, in terms of, you know, are we aware of these studies? Are we really having a discussion about that? I do see the correlation with a lot of the arguments around the pandemic. My my best analysis, and I'm guilty of this, is, is just a strong tendency and desire to, to oversimplify. You know, these matters yeah. are probably extraordinarily complex in in their reckoning even if we pointed at something like emotional regulation which i would absolutely yeah. i would personally put that at the top of the list well yeah. gee that that's not just something you 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 know you don't send out a, a psa and, and <laughs> yeah regulation. so you vaccinate you vaccinate for emotional regulation you introduce a a, a bunch of nanobots into the system yes yes that's it <laughs> yeah. uh, so even <laughs> one particular branch of solution it's it's enormously complex to oh yeah what that looks like with hundreds of millions of people uh so then you you look at all the branches you know and i just wonder how how much of that is like we collapse under that complexity and yeah and we're all, and we're fed such simple binary ideas all the yeah. time we're probably even getting simpler right as the algorithms just sort I of i think they are yeah want to slice and dice everything and recognize like who's gonna yeah. So I, I just feel like that's, we could call that laziness. I, I'm guilty of that. I just also think it's a human tendency at a time when people are, I don't know, I don't think it's still have recovered from the trauma, even of the pandemic, let alone anything else that's going on. Yeah. Existence. Yeah. Existence is pretty traumatic, man. Well, but really yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like what, I think for both of us, I think that would be our tendency over, a, maybe for me, very similar to yourself. Um, until I think I got triggered by like what I felt like was a violation of my personal boundaries by the government, you know, and I was like, wait a second, what's going on here? And then I started noticing that people were being false in media and then that freaked me out. I started being like, oh no, I kind of, whatever. I, I red pilled myself or whatever the phrase is. I don't know. Uh, maybe that marks me as like a QAnon person. I don't know. I just know that as, a, as an internet phrase, folks, I'm, I'm older now. I don't know the slang you hip young people use. Um, but in general, that would be my assumption. But since that's my assumption of like, I don't, really like I don't have the time or the capacity to like examine the complexities of this. I also therefore was never an adamant advocate of anything. And then maybe some of that sloth or laziness too. But I also think that I don't understand being an adamant advocate of something that you haven't intensely explored. That's the part to me that I'm always like, what happens there? That's a like, to me, that's a whole nother level. Cause I think it's fine if you're slightly apathetic about it or like not apathetic, but just like apathetic in terms of prioritization, you're like, based on how my life is and what my bandwidth is of existence is, I don't have the time, nor is it necessary for me to explore all the nuances of gun control. Totally legitimate. But I think there's a lot of people like that who then are also like blasting out on their social media or screaming about or crying about or whatever, like pushing a narrative of somebody else's solution that they haven't explored. And I was like, I don't understand that part at yeah. all. Like how, how, and that's and that's one way we we simplify is yeah is yeah I'm gonna follow these ten people and they're gonna sort of construct my my knowledge and my reality around this yeah 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 
I guess it is religious uh, to me. That's it's, it's the most similar to religious, where you just like go. Oh. I think that does veer veer back into our conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I, that's not. In, I mean, in some way, we, we have to do that. There's no way we're just one little human being. We can't possibly ingest. I mean, you're you have a remarkable capacity to ingest, you know, information, and that's that is a characteristic that not everybody has. Uh, yeah. I think. Well, and I'm unemployed, so helps. Yeah. Well, you got time. You've even <laughs> yeah. noted that to being an actor. Like, part yeah, yeah, yeah. Your job is to, I don't know, look look at even if it's one script to ingest that, but maybe lots. Anyway, you could speak more to that. But yeah. So in some way, we must filter. That's that's the very nature of how we are operate and how we're how we're wired bio, biologically. Yeah. So then the question might become, who are we listening to? You know, are yeah. we actually constructing? A, a well-rounded view of, of what's out there, which is, I find myself even saying quite recently, like how much I appreciate our conversations because you help me break out of some of the bubbles I'm in. Mm, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I agree on everything. It's just, wow, I'm, I'm exposed to things that I assume a lot of the people I talk to have no exposure to whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And I realize people don't necessarily, I, I like, I think I do that. It's sort of my ice bath is to constantly expose myself to things I don't agree with. Because I find it like endangering in a in a really titillating way. Like I don't love ice baths. I've done them a number of times, but I don't find it pleasant. Uh, but I do like there's a there's an unpleasant pleasantness for me in my natural capacity to like explore that. I realize that's not uh, that's not everyone's natural inclination or whatever. And I think again, the past three years, I think this has been especially difficult because I'm like, okay, now is the time we have to do it because we're kind of in crisis. Um, and then I think a lot of people in times of crisis, people tend to go towards comfort or whatever. They want to go eat grilled cheese and like, and like binge the Mandalorian or whatever, you know, they kind of want to just like actually shut a lot of that, shut a lot of that down. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that season finale. I did too. I thought it was very straightforward, maybe too straightforward, honestly, but it was, I think it ticked. It literally was like, uh, uh, what was it? Like, I'm trying to think of a great like McDonald's seems uh, diminutive, and I, I'm the, all the best aspects of McDonald's, you know, or Taco Bell, where they like have like seven, eight point uh, analysis, like scientific analyses on crunchiness or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just on crunchiness, y'all. So then uh, that's what the Mandalorian felt like. I was like that checked so many boxes of being like, yep, satisfy you, satisfy you, satisfy you, satisfy you know boss fight, uh, you know, danger, uh, coming to one another's aid, you know, all is lost, all is not lost, all is, uh, you know, no nobility, honor, self-sacrifice, you know, all the, all the things, right? The force, yeah. lightsabers, dark sabers, sorry, you know. <laughs> $200,000 worth of special effects is a really cool force, use of force. Um, yes, exactly. I should say use of the force, I guess that's a different kind the of The force, yeah, how dare you. See, that's- so Back to our conversation about use Yeah, yeah, yeah. Force. I wanted to note, because I think we're getting close to coming into a landing, is uh, one of the things that you, we have mutually shared with each other, and this is just thing I kind of just want to alert people to, yeah, again, if they're not exposed to you in the way that you were talking about, like people don't know this, that like if some people is in my circle, this is why I share this sort of stuff a lot, because I was like, I think people don't know this. Um, I love uh, sites like, uh, what's a Braver Angels? I always forget the name of it. Braver Angels, All Sides. There are, there are people who have, yes, they've appointed themselves as organizations to sort of note media bias and do their, their whole mission is to try to stand and find where the center is, stand in the center and kind of recognize when they're getting on either side and try to just analyze and look at how media is uh, exhibiting bias. And sometimes they'll do stories on like sort of extreme bias. Um, and selection bias is one that they've been noting recently uh, as relates to shootings or mass shootings. And kind of mentioned this in the early part of this. Um, and so that's was being drawn into my attention a lot. And I was like, well, oh, I don't know if people know that. Like, for example, this uh, young uh, boy, um, I don't know, 16 year old boy wants to be called a young man or not, but whatever. A young, I, I consider him a boy. Um, a boy named uh, Ralph Yarl uh, was shot uh, at night uh, knocking on someone's door who obviously didn't want anyone knocking on the door, ringing their doorbell, uh, who then shot, uh, shot him twice without saying, without saying anything, an old man, like 80, 85 year old man or something shot this like 60 year old boy. Um, uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if people have noticed, but he's home now. He got shot in the head. I thought he was going to die. And that was like, it was just like, this is just what a, 
just a tragedy all around. Like really, I, for me, my immediate knee jerk was like, it's, it's a tragedy for everybody. For the person who shot him and then it's like, oh my gosh, it's a boy. He's not trying to break in my house. It's just some dude knocking on my door. Like I'm a, oh no, I'm a, I'm a terrible monster. I don't know. But it seemed like terrible for everyone. But he's home now, by the way. And I just think, I don't know, I, I do want to celebrate moments when people don't die <laughs> when you think they're going to. Um, I, then, I hadn't heard that actually. Thank you. That's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. He's home, dude. He got shot in the head and he literally like ran for help. I mean, I, I've never been shot. So I, to, to me, that just sounds like, that sounds insane. I was like, I, does that happen? Um, it does. Uh, and I'm honestly, praise God for that, that he's alive. So, uh, but I, I showed a thing to you too, and all sides had brought this up that like, there's a wild media bias. And there, I showed you a back, I did a video, on uh, the New York Times, like uh, Instagram sort of stories, and they did back to back reportings on that, that shooting. And there was another where people pulled into someone's driveway, it was like upstate New York or something, can't remember. Anyway, pulled into someone's driveway, and someone shot them for pulling into their driveway and killed uh, a woman in a car. Um, they reported those back to back, but one was reported, uh, because the young boy who was shot was a was a black boy, and the person who shot him was a old white man. Uh, they were talking immediately about the racial elements of those two people. I don't know anything about the the race of the people who died in the other one. They did like a courtroom shot, and the other one was like old black old white man, young uh, old white man, young black man. And it was like mm, old white man shoots a young black man. You know what that's all about? Like it was very much that tone. And then the exact next slide was this other shooting with no idea about any racial element or whatever. Um, as of yesterday, and I've been, because I knew we were recording this, uh, there is no evidence of any racial motivation, by the way, in the in the Jarl shooting. Uh, his grandson was just on CNN talking to Don Lemon, and he was like, oh, my grandfather's racist tendencies. And Don kept saying, well, you're being very general. Can you give me any specifics? He offered no specifics in the entire interview. So we have no evidence yet, um, is all I'm saying. Now, it could be. I'm not saying it isn't. We can put it on the table as a theory. Um, but I, I, I say that because it's important to recognize. However, one shooting has been covered far, far more because of those potentially sensational, even without evidence, sort of like potential racial dynamics there or hate crime. <clears throat> and then the other one has like was covered as though it was just like a oh, crime report, crime report, very flat, very this person got shot and blah, 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 much more sort of objective, really. Um, and I've noticed with mass shootings specifically that there does appear to be a significant media bias in reporting white on black uh, shooting. Um, and it, and it, like, I don't, almost like for me, it kind of seems gross. It seems like people like it when white people shoot people who aren't white. They kind of like the news gets really churned up about it. But like when there's been multiple shootings of like three, I think in the past like month of like, uh, like black people shooting white kids or whatever, like roll that ball into their yard or whatever um, type of thing. So then it's it's happening. Listen, people shoot people. Most crimes are, what is it called? Inter, interracial. So like uh, in, intra-racial, sorry, intra-racial, meaning black people shoot black people, white people shoot white people, Asians shoot Asians, uh, Latinos shoot Latinos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, that uh, has been remarkable to me. And that I think it reflects this lack of rationality and this desire to sort of justify tribal position of like uh, of gun control laws being vitally important, you know. And it's similar to a study you sent me where it showed that over the past 10 years, I think, that generally black folks are overrepresented as criminals in news reports. Um, although obviously black people commit a disproportionate amount of crime relative to their population, even with that in fact, in like known in the study like it, it's still overreported so that generally people would then view uh, white people as disproportionate like mass shooters and hate hate-based mass shooters and that sort of thing which makes it easier to make pursue gun control because you're tearing down you know the patriarchy white supremacy that sort of thing um and on the other side making black folks seem your average black person seem like a violent person which of course in return like in sequence, then wouldn't that enhance the sense of people feeling endangered by black people, which then creates the very scenario that you like to report on that you over report on. I mean, that stuff, I know it's, it, it's starting to feel like I'm the guy connecting all the dots on the wall there, but they, they're all, they're all kind of frankly in, interconnected. I think people should know about it just so we can be like, as with all these things, stop, don't get flip out yet. Let's attend to anybody who's bleeding. Let's, let's love people who are in pain. And then let's actually like, calmly look at what's happening you know don't just do something stand there yeah yeah it, it certainly dips into the space of systemic racism 
Yeah. I assume that's what that grandson was talking about uh, of yeah. general notion, old white yeah. man must be racist in America. Yeah, yeah. In the context of, you know, psychology and, and, and even just body trauma, you know, I, I have subscribed to that and we've talked about it quite, quite a bit, so we don't need to unpack it all here. Yeah. And even like, what does the word racism mean these days? And I'm, I am noticing and starting, you know, even in like diversity, equity and inclusion circles and that, you know, one, one practitioner in particular, I've talked to recently said, you know, we're, we're not talking about race anymore because we, because, oh. you know, for a while, many of us have been asking the question, like, well, well when does it end? When yeah. do we know that we've reached the line where we ought to stop talking about that because it's not reinforcing the problem yeah, it's so hard. to the, to yeah. the, you know, lines on the wall you just drew the, yeah. the Nashian uh, lines, but so, you know, I, I think there's something to that and it's worth talking about. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, it's, it's almost certainly not the whole story. And is it, is it helpful? Is it helpful to just jump to that, to make that the whole issue? You know, what are the, yeah. As we, we don't have time for it today, but you know, yeah. what are the pros and cons of that? You know, who, who <laughs> yeah. benefits when we do that and who Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. You know? I again I think I'm just gonna say for all of my conspiracy theory heads out here, uh, as I do think it's it's explicitly created in order to make it easier to push for gun control policy. Um, because if you can paint that image in the public's mind, then they will forget the very racist history of gun control. We're actually the the allowance of marginalized people to bear arms not uninfringed uh, has been a, an essential element of said group's ability to protect themselves from those in power, right? I mean, the idea is like, <laughs> give the police everything, but then regulate citizens' ability to have it. You're like, dude, it's not, we've all seen how the police can act. So just in and of itself, dude, at some point, I, I, I'm openly advocating uh, self-defense against the police is a, a perfectly appropriate usage or interpretation of the Second Amendment. And I know some people might not like that, but buzz off, like that's partially what it's for. But if you can change the narrative there and pretend that somehow gun control benefits black people, which is not, again, there's no evidence of that necessarily, but um, then then it makes it a lot easier to pass. Cause then you're like, oh, you're, you're, you're um, enhancing that knee jerk response, that intuitive response of we've got to protect the vulnerable. And listen, I think I would hope we all agree with We've got to protect the vulnerable. <laughs> and then everything after that really is where we're falling into problems. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's protect the vulnerable. Um, shall we answer the question? Thumbs up, thumb down? Or do you have a closing statement? Because I know you got to get out of here. You got business. You got business to attend to. I think we, we've we got to protect the vulnerable is a good place to land. Yeah, we agree on that. And I'm still with thumbs up. I think yep. they're relevant in the context of this discussion needs to happen and the laws exist. So they are, they are relevant. I don't know. I, I don't know their relevancy to the solution. That's an open question. They're yeah, certainly, yeah, yeah. certainly relevant in the context of the discussion. Yeah. I think they're absolutely relevant to, uh, to the conversation in the same capacity. Um, I, as uh, our gun control is relevant, it's one of those, you fill in the blank at the end, right? Uh, our gun control is relevant to mass shooting. No, thumbs down. No. Um, but our gun control is uh, relevant um, to the discussion somewhere in the top 10 to top 15, thumbs up. I know that's a mixed, I guess that's a mixed thumbs for me. So here's two, here's two finger guns shooting at a man I love virtually. Ah, Sorry, I love those, are my, those are my favorite guns. <laughs> oh, I, have, I did have the rubber band shooter, the wooden gun with like the yep. hose pen and like the rubber band shooter. Yeah. Yep, I'm open to that. That, that. To me, that's a good gun. Love you, brother. Love you too. Stay Bye. safe. Bye.